open your Bibles to the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ as we continue to make our way through um, this book, which is an unveiling, not a veiling of, and therefore um, we're going to seek to know the will of God in this using his uh, word to interpret his word, which is always our rule of uh, biblical interpretation. Um, I was thinking a couple things this past week as this is beginning to get into more of the um, portion of scripture that can lead itself to all sorts of interpretation. And remember, whenever you're using symbols, um, anybody can interpret a symbol any way they want to. Um, the desire would be to interpret symbolism, particularly biblical symbolism, in the way that the Holy Spirit intended for it to be interpreted. So that's the question, not how many ways can it be interpreted, but what is the proper interpretation. So we know that scripture will not contradict itself, and we also have been going to the Old Testament and other scriptures to see um, what is it that we can figure out um, from this. And another thing I've thought is many people will say, there are a lot of people who they will read the book of Revelation and not really read, read much the rest of the Bible and come away from the book of Revelation going, wow, this is very difficult to understand. A couple things about that. One, oh, you think the rest of the Bible is easy to understand? And two, um, you can't really understand Revelation without knowing the rest of the Bible. Just like Hebrew. It's very difficult to, to know what's going on in Hebrews. So if you're one of these people who consider yourselves a New Testament um, Christian, you don't really have use for the Old Testament. Um, if you only carry around with you a New Testament, and that's all you ever have, you have a very difficult time understanding what a lot of the New Testament is talking about because it all comes out of the riches and fullness and references to the Old Testament many, many times. Another thing is I'm not up here teaching. This is not a teaching time. This is not a lecturing time. This is the proclamation, the preaching of the word of God. This is a redemptive activity of God. This is where God's people gather together for the purpose of um, sacrament, which is um, baptism, which represents our entrance into the covenant community, our, um, the washing away of our sins, the, the claiming of Jesus Christ um, as, as his people. But we must be united to him by faith. And then we come to the Lord's table. And we come to the Lord's table um, as a, an indication of what the gospel is in tangible, with tangible items where we are able to say, when you hear the word, especially in the gathered church, and that hearing is united by faith, you are feeding upon Christ. The proclamation of the gospel is for the world, but only the church the invisible church, the true church, believers, only the believers actually receive Christ in the preaching of the word of God. But you can be converted through the preaching of the word of God, the hearing of the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So you can go from darkness into light and Christ calls you to come unto him, all ye who are weary. And then we have his word. As we come to his word today, we're going to read chapter 6. And we're going to proclaim its truths. We'll try to explain where these, uh, this teaching comes from, where these interpretations come from. So, and try to give you maybe some uh, different ideas that may be a little different than what we come away with. But um, what we'll see is any interpretation which is faithful to the scripture is going to be proclaiming the gospel. So let's pray and then let's go to the word of the Lord. Father God, we thank you for your word. 
we thank you for the word. We thank you that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and now we will hear the word, and this is as a sword coming from Christ's mouth. It will accomplish what you mean for it to accomplish. It will harden some, and it will soften others. As the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay, we would pray that ice would be melted, that hearts would be broken and mended, that you would show us more of yourself than we've ever seen, and that you will bring us closer than we've ever been to you before. And this we pray in your holy name. Amen. So the word of the Lord. Let's go to Revelation chapter 6, and we'll read um, this chapter, verses 1 through 17. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people would slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened a third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked. And behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider its name was Death, and Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And when he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? The word of the Lord. Now you may notice if you're a, a, a mathematical type of person that's only the sixth seal but what you're going to see in the seventh seal is you're going to have the seven trumpets and what you're going to see from the seventh trumpet is the seven bowls and so what we see here is not um, this is going to happen and then later on in the world this is going to happen and then later on in the world this is going to happen because right here we have the ending of all things the great day of the Lord and we're going to look at it from a different 
perspective with the trumpets. And then we're going to look at it all from a different perspective, from the bowls. And you'll see that this will make the most sense of, of what we're reading. So we have to remember Revelation 6 isn't the beginning of the book of Revelation. The beginning of the book of Revelation is a proclamation of who Jesus Christ is. And then it's a proclamation that Jesus Christ is the one who is in the center of the seven candlesticks, which are the seven churches, which were seven particular churches in this area where he's writing, and he sent this letter all around. But the number seven is the number of completion. is to the church. So the book of Revelation is written to all the churches, the church, represented by these seven with lights. And the warnings given to some is if you don't listen, if you don't repent, if you don't do these things, I'll remove your lampstand. You must, as a church, proclaim uh, the full truth of God. And so we saw at each of the seven churches, some were proclaimed as you're doing great. Some were like, you're pretty much dead. But there was hope if they would just cling us where the verse, you know, I stand at the door and knock. If you invite me in, I'll come in and eat and drink with you. And so there's always hope for the church if they will turn to Christ. And then there are many who have not turned from Christ. There are some that are so... um, uh, so involved in their theology being exactly right and that's good but they've forgotten their love and then there are some churches that they love Jesus and they have great love but their theology is all messed up and they don't care about truth and the spirit says to the churches it's both it's spirit and it's truth it's being right and it's being in love with Christ is making sure that the worship of God is pure, but that you're also still evangelizing and sharing the love of Christ with the world. And then you get to chapters 4 and 5, the great throne room scene, where we see that God Almighty, the everlasting Father, is on the throne. And then we see uh, the, the scroll with the seven seals, which is held in the, in the Father's right hand. And the cry is, who is worthy? to open the scroll and no one is found worthy anywhere and John weeps bitterly and then one of the elders says to John stop weeping the lion of the tribe of Judah he is conquered and he saw a lamb looking as though slain so that Jesus the lion of Judah conquers through his sacrifice on the cross as a sacrificial lamb and he takes the scroll from the hand of the Almighty. And then we see it being unveiled, the plan of God through all the ages. And remember, he's just written to the churches. And this letter goes to the churches. This letter of the book of Revelation is not just for a church at some point in the future when things are getting real and you need to recognize what this stuff is now. Read the paper and make sure you recognize when this is happening. It's like this is, a, this is from the cross unto now, as the New Testament tells us, is the last days. This is it. This is where we're living, in the great tribulation of God. But we're his church. And we saw in the seven letters, there's great persecution. There are people who've been put to death. There are people who've lost their jobs. There are people who are experiencing great famine. Uh, It was very difficult during the time of the writing of this letter to those seven churches, as it is in many places of the world today, to proclaim the name of Christ. So for us to think, you know, one day this could really be bad. We we have, I think every culture has its own culture-centric interpretation of what this means. So if we look at what God is doing in the world in the United States and we start talking about persecution, it's like, well, you know, 
just to put it like this, you ain't seen persecution yet. Okay. Other parts in the world, how dare we say that there's not great tribulation and persecution where people are being put to death for proclamation. To be baptized is a death sentence for people who have horrific things. I mean, you can look at these things at Voices of Martyrs. does a lot of good work with this. Just read history books about what has happened to the church in various places in the world and the persecutions that occur. And so the Holy Spirit is writing to, to the church, and he's saying... If you remember the seven letters, it's the one who overcomes, the one who has victory, the one who continues, the one who doesn't lose faith. I will give the white robe. I will give the crown of life. I will, I will, he will live with me forever in heaven. The overcomers, the Nikaios, the ones who, that's where we get the word, Nike is named after that, victory, conqueror, overcomer. Remember, that's that word, Nikai, Nikaio. It's a very important word because it gets interpreted in different ways in English, and you might not recognize it's all that same root word. So we want to remember this. And so this letter is written to the church where the Holy Spirit is saying, it's hard. It's difficult. God is on the throne. God is in control. Everything that's happening is completely under the Lamb's control. And you are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And then this is what we see. And this was written so that the churches would be encouraged and challenged. If I could quote the... Bible Project guys, and this is the purpose. So if we can keep the purpose of Revelation in mind, it also helps. And also chapter 6, what, what's going on here in chapter 6? And so the first thing that we see, you know, it's a, a watch, the lamb opened one. Okay, here we go. One of the seven seals is about to be opened. And what we're going to see is, this, isn't so, this is a vision. Keep in mind, it's a vision. So if you start thinking, all right, how do I do this in a movie? And that can be some problems because all of a sudden you've got to do things visually. Um, you can't necessarily do these vision things visually. And just because one thing's happening and nothing and nothing, it could be like it's all happening at once. But let me show you these different aspects of it. And so the first thing, he opens this one of the seven seals and he hears one of the four living creatures, which we've seen earlier. Uh, these giant these cherubim, these powerful creatures. There's four of them, and you're going to see there's four horsemen. And let's go ahead and get it right. Yes, if you are a wrestling fan, sorry, if you're a wrestling fan, you know the four horsemen, okay? It's not the same thing at all. And if you're a Clint Eastwood fan, you know about the pale horse, okay? And that's, they actually quote this, I believe, in, in that movie. So um, I'll, I'll give no further references to those. But um, one of the four living creatures says with a voice like thunder come and it's like this loud we've had thunder lately you can hear it everywhere it's 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 come and i looked and behold a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer and those are our words he came out nikaioing and to nikaio he came out to conquer to be victorious to overcome this is what he's coming out to do now here's the big question who is the rider on the white horse? All right, the red horse, the black horse, the pale horse, which the, that's an interesting word in Greek. It actually means like a sickly green kind of color. Lord of the Rings movies get a lot of this visual stuff right. And there's like, if you've seen it, you know, there's this, the, 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 I can't remember, the mountain of the dead where they go. And it's like this, they have that green color about them. But it's this sickly green color. And... But the white horse is here. And so the white horse, the, the sickly green color, the, the red, the black, it's like, okay, we got those. It's very clear what that means. Who's the white horse? 
So what I do is I go to commentaries and I've listened to um, different sermons on this particular point and lectures and different things. And it's either one of the main idea, and I believe it's one of these two things, persons. It is either Christ or Antichrist. I was like, well, you know, you can't get two different type things. One in, in its very name has the word anti in front of it. And so which is this? Is this, the, is this Christ going out to conquer with this bow and with this crown? It could very well be. Um, you're like, well, what's, what's the deal with the bow and the crown? Psalm 45 talks about this, um, where you see the, the rider with the crown. Uh, um, Jesus himself talks about this. So it could, I will not, I don't want to come down dogmatically because I'll have to disagree with some of my professors at seminary and some people who are a lot smarter than me that have studied this a lot where I know if they were to come up to me after the sermon and say, well, John, what about this and what about that? I'd go, yeah, yeah, okay, maybe. However, I think I might win the argument because I think I figured it out. So <laughs> it could be Christ. And what people do who believe this is Christ is this is the gospel going forth it is uh, he's conquering people through the word of, of God and and he's bringing about the victory through Christ there's nothing wrong with I mean everything I just said is true and then what follows well then comes persecution there's still death there's still war there's still bloodshed so that's fine it could be and I wouldn't go so far as to say it is the Antichrist although that works with it but what you see with the four horsemen are, and this is going to be my interpretation, it's judgments, four judgments that all come from the throne of God, um, that the conquering is one who comes out on a white horse um, to conquer and conquering. And I'm going to talk about why I think that is. But if that's the case, it's still under the control of Jesus Christ, and he still defeats all of these. And it's a message to the church to be aware that this doesn't catch God by surprise. This doesn't mean he's not on your side. This doesn't mean that God has lost. It means you keep the faith until the end. And that works too. Both of those interpretations are biblical. I just don't like the fact of saying the white horse is the Antichrist or is evil if it represents Christ. Neither should someone like calling the white horse Christ if it actually represents something bad. So that's where I'm at this point to say it is symbolism and it is a vision and both can work as long as you let the rest of the scripture speak here. Okay? So, but I'm going to give you my reasons. And again, I don't want to teach and lecture, but I do want to give my reasons. I think it makes a big I think it does make a bit of a difference if you, to look at it in this way. So one of the main reasons you get this difference of opinion on who the white rider is is because he's, uh, who the white horse is on the, who is on the white horse is because he's white. And the color white represents purity, especially in the book of Revelation. You'll see white, again, the white robes. And then in Revelation chapter 19, and this is the, the kicker for, for most people, is like if you go to Revelation 19, um, and we'll just begin looking in verse 1. Well, let's go ahead and just look at 19.11 to get to the, the main verse. <clears throat> John writes, he says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. All right, white horse. Chapter 6, white horse. 
and 19, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems as crowns, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and by it, and the name by which he is called is the word of God, and the arm, and it goes on. So it's like, okay, this is not the Antichrist here. This is Jesus Christ um, and the church triumphant uh, going forward, the church militant going forward and making war and uh, defeating Satan and his works. And so since the white horse in chapter 19 is Christ, then obviously the white horse in chapter 6 must also be Christ. And that's where I landed for a long time, and I'm like, but not necessarily. That's kind of still the point. Not necessarily the same horse. Now, in the ancient Near East, the time when this was written, if you went riding on a white, if you, if you decided, I'm going off to war with all these other horses and people on top of horses and stuff, I'm going to jump on the top, back of my white horse, well, guess what? You, you become a target real quick. You, you, you're easily spotted. So you didn't ride into battle in a white horse. You rode into victory on a white horse. So what we see also in the Lord of the Rings, particularly in the movies, you see Gandalf, the white, he runs, Alex Allen, Shadowfax, the white horse, and he's, he's, he's riding into battle, but he is the victory. Yeah, and this is the thing. So Jesus Christ is the victory riding into battle. So this white horse, white, white in the ancient Near East can mean purity, but it also represents victory. So you have this white horse who is going out. He's got a, a crown on his head. Not a diadem, a crown, a stephanos. Diadem is a Greek word. It means a type of crown that goes on royalty. It goes on a king. This is a, this is a diadem. And it's a lot of them, diadems. It's a vision. But the rider on this white horse has a stephanos. It means um, it's, a, it's a victory crown like you would win in a, like the Olympics um, when they would give crowns instead of medals. Uh, it is given to somebody to represent their higher um, rank. And then we hear that Jesus is the prince of the power of the air. Um, we hear that, and I, I made a few notes to this effect, um, he's the prince, Ephesians 2.2, 2, he's the prince of the power of the air. In John 10.10, 10, it says, the thief does come to steal, to kill, and destroy. And in Matthew 10.34, Jesus says, do not think that I came to buy peace, bring peace to the earth. Now you say, well, wait a minute, the angel says peace on earth. Is yes to those who are called according to my purposes, to those who love God. But I didn't bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. So he's brought a sword. So you can see how it's like, well, okay, you can make that work for the white horse too. But the sword that Jesus brings is, there is conflict that is set between the beast and the people of God. From the, from the Garden of Eden, I will put enmity between you and between the serpent. That's how um, we're saved. There is set up the fact that when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, we now are at enmity. We're at the lack of peace against the prince of the power of the air, against Satan. He's a defeated enemy for us, too, as we're going to look at in just a moment. We resist the devil and he flees from us. Our problem is we enjoy too much dancing with the devil and we need not. If we walk in the spirit and not the flesh, we have conquered in Christ. And also here in Revelation 6 and in Revelation um, 
which was at 19, both had the word sword. In Greek, it's two different kinds of swords. I kind of wish they'd come up with these different kinds of sword names and just use them in our English so that we wouldn't get confused sometimes. But the sword here on this white rider is a small curved type sword and is used for killing animals, particularly in sacrifice. And the word that's being used is slaughter. And that's what you would do in the sacrifice. You would slaughter the sacrifices. And you would slaughter the people of God in scripture. Typically the word slaughter is used instead of simply kill. So the enemies of God sometimes are slaughtered. And then when the people of God are killed by the enemy, it's a, they've been slaughtered. And that's what this knife is for. The knife that we see with the white rider in, 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 verse 19, in chapter 19, it's called, so it's the Mykiron. The Mykiron is, if I'm pronouncing that right, is the sword, um, the Mykiron. And then the, um, the sword in Revelation 19 is called the Ramthia, which is a larger sword. It's like it's worn over the shoulders. Best I can figure out, it's like the type of sword that you'd be like, it's like, oh, you brought a knife to a real sword fight. You know? and so, but sometimes Jesus has a Stephanos on his head. He's the victor's crown. Sometimes um, he, he does have a sword, but the sword that we see on the, the rider of the white horse is this type of sword, and it's coming out of his mouth, and that is how he's defeating people. And also what you see in chapter 19, let's look at chapter 19 again, because it's talking about the end of the world, end of time, um, the last day. Uh, again, beginning on, in verse 11, I saw this heaven open, white horse the one sitting on him is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war his eyes are like flame of fire on his head are many diadems and on his name is written the name that no one knows but himself he's clothed in a robe dipped with blood it could also be called um, sprinkled with blood a lot of commentators a lot of theologians believe this is his own blood that he's going out to conquer and he's defeated them with his own blood actually is one way to look at it and the name by which he is called is the word of God and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen white and pure were following him on white horses that's not what's following the white rider in chapter 6 what's following the white rider in chapter 6 is death and pestilence and disease and, and, and famine and war but what's following this white rider that comes in victory for the church is us. White robes, white horses, and from his mouth comes that sharp, large sword which to strike down the nations, and he will rule over them with a rod of iron, and he will thread the winepress of the fury, the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has written the name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and it goes on to talk about this. So you can, you can see where, you know, even if you're going through this in your mind, it may be that you're going, eh, it sounds kind of like that horse in Genesis. Oh, yeah, I see. Yeah, that's not the same. It's like, <sighs> it's, it's, and I think some of that is the point, too. Because what is happening today with, with the churches, especially what he's saying in the book of Revelation is, you see wrong. You see your fellow man. You see the trade unions. You see the culture. And the more you proclaim Christ or deny the gods of your culture or refuse to worship in some way, you know, you might decide, I'm just laying back. I'm not saying anything. No, you're not giving an option. 
And we start to see stuff like that in our culture today because nothing changes. That's the good thing. We're not unaware of the schemes of the devil. The good thing is he didn't have a different playbook. Now I will, I will talk about a different movie, which is um, that great and powerful movie called The Water Boy, in which he's got this playbook that he has stolen. I can't remember the coach's names. Forgive me. The, 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 the Red Bayou. That's that guy's name, isn't it? <laughs> he's got the book that he's stolen from the other coach. And the other coach finally has gotten his nerve back, and he's got new plays. And Red Bayou can't do anything because all he's got, this is all the plays there are. So in my analogy here, Satan has one playbook, and it's revealed here. And we're told that we are not unaware of the schemes of the devil. And this is what he does. Don't make Guides don't worship false guides. And that's what the message to the churches in Revelation is. Proclaim the one true guide. Um, things got rough. We had what's called pestilence, known as death here in the book of Revelation, the black rider, no, the pale rider. And, um, and what did we do? Some people turned to government. Some people turned to science which we're going to see both of these things, science in this particular case, or the media and all these things, being backed, government being backed by these people with all this financial power, all this other power. And so you have these great powers arrayed against church, against Christ and his people, and the people start to worship those things. Don't do that. That's not where our hope is. Government can do good things. Science can do good things. Um, but it's also powers behind powers. Be aware of the power behind the power. That's why you have to stay in the word of God. That's the one who will conquer. False gods come out on their white horses, conquering and to conquer. But the one who conquers, I will give the name. I will allow you to, to live and to conquer. And Jesus actually says, Revelation 5.5, 5, I mean, look what 5.5 5 says. As they're like, who will be able to open the, the scroll? And then one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Juba, the, Judah, the root of David, has conquered, has nikaoed, so that he can open the scroll. He's already conquered. Now, people who believe the white horse is the church and Christ going forward are like, yes, but he's still conquering. But I think this is the thing. He's won the victory. And this is the victory that's overcome the world. That's nikaoed the world is your faith. And the Bible tells us that as well. These four colored horses as well. If you take notes, you want to look this up later. Anything you read about Revelation is going to take you to these places. Um, Revelation chapter 6 is um, Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. And chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And what it says in both of these places, it has these four different colored horses, and one of them is white, and, but they all represent these great, powerful um, beasts. Notice there's four living creatures and four horsemen, too. But they're sent by the Lord, by Yahweh. It says they are sent by Yahweh to patrol the earth. And both of them, they're, they're sent by God to patrol the earth. Now, in Zechariah, there's judgment that's going to happen, and this is how he's going to um, send judgment. Now, Ezekiel 5.17, if, if you would read this. I will send famine and wild beasts against you. Pestilence and blood shall pass through you. I am Yahweh. I have spoken. 
These are the same four calamities. So this isn't just coming out of whole cloth from nowhere. This is coming from, you need to know about Zechariah. You need to know about Ezekiel. You need to understand these are the judgments of the Lord. And they have two purposes. One is to punish evil. And the second is to call people back to the worship of the one true God and to repent. To recognize there is a God on the throne. Now we've seen that with COVID. A pestilence. We've seen a lot of people. Uh, I have friends, and I hate to use Facebook as an indication of what's going on in the world, but as far as a lot of my, <laughs> my friends, it's like if science says it, and it doesn't matter what, if somebody says science settles it, it's like the Lord God himself has spoken. And what do they want? They want the government to enforce these things. And I look at that and I'm like, gosh, you got to be careful with that kind of thing. And then I have some friends who are like, faith over fear. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, therefore I cannot be struck by pestilence. Well, that is not what the Bible says. There's, there's truth in it, and you need to understand the proper interpretation of that, and you need to understand what's being said here, because this is the point to the churches. But one of the points is, look at um, verse 9. He opened the fifth seal. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, Sovereign Lord, how long and true, how long before you'll judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Now you might say, well, that's people who've been persecuted. But there's also death and famine, disease, and all these things. I mean, Christians die from disease. And not just the bad Christians. Okay? Uh, the most faithful saints ever lived on this earth every last one of them unless they're still alive died of something except for Jesus Christ well he died too but he came back to life firstborn from the dead and um, oh who's the prophet that was taken up Elijah yeah they thought you know call him he's coming back um, but there will be a day when you'll die something's going to get you and in the meantime, there's going to be trials and tribulation. It's going to be hard. It's going to be rough. Um, could be persecution. Everyone who desires to serve the Lord will be persecuted in some way or another, whether it's physical persecution, spiritual persecution, your own flesh persecuting you. It's going to be difficult. You live in a fallen, cursed world. But there is one who has overcome the world. And he tells us to take heart because I have indeed overcome the world. If I had more time, well, let's go to Matthew chapter 24. And what you can see from Matthew 24 is a very similar. All these things apply. Jesus is speaking. He's talking about two things. One, the destruction of Jerusalem that happened in AD 70 where um, the old, the old um, order of, you know, he says pointedly to um, the people who are depending on the temple that are rejecting Christ that um, I'm judging you and it's finally all the judgment of unfaithful Israel is falling on you and there will be judgment and this is coming upon you and then he also answers the question of what's it going to be like at the end of the age, end of the world what, what, what happens here and so listen to how he speaks here and starting verse 24 verse 3 as he sat in the Mount of Olives the disciples came to him privately and said tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age and Jesus answered them see that no one leads you astray 
For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Now, all this was happening right there before the destruction of Israel. It was all happening you know, within the lifetime of Jesus, too. But it continues to happen. This is the way it works. These are things that you will continue to see and continue to hear. And they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. There's a sword given. They will slaughter one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. This could be seen as a white horse. False prophets, false religions, things that are coming out. And what's happening to you, O churches? There's a horse coming out, and he's coming out to conquer. And behind him is death and famine and disease and pestilence. Verse 12, because lawlessness will be increased and love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And then he goes on and talks about the abomination of desolation and these things. We go to verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not shine its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken, and then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. A literal interpretation is you will see the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, sign, the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming out of the clouds with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end to the other. And, and it goes on, and so what you'll see as you study Revelation, it's like Jesus is saying the same thing. You're not going to find a lot in Revelation that you don't find in the rest of Scripture. And if you're looking for a timetable, if you're looking for the name of who's going to come, it's like, his name is Satan, the great deceiver. But greater than him is Jesus Christ, the one who is victorious. So you get to verse 9, and you have this in Revelation 7, and they're crying out. You know, when, and these are, these are um, sanctified saints in heaven. They're receiving their white robes next. So they aren't like Stephen's like, forgive them. They know not really Jesus, forgive them. They know what they do. But in heaven, it's like... <laughs> When's victory coming? When is we see the saints being persecuted? We see what's happening. We see Satan doing these terrible things. How long, O oh Lord? How long? And if you read different psalms, you'll see in these different psalms, same thing, crying out. How long, O oh Lord? When I see what's happening. It's not that I'm desiring for people to be crushed and killed and go to hell. I want an end to be put to that. So the, the, the demonic powers that are behind all these things, when will this be set right? And in verse 11 he says, They were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete. So there's a set number. And what you'll see in each of these things, if you go back and look, there's a limit. You know, a fourth of the earth. Don't harm the oil and the wine. Don't touch these things. You know, so as you're looking at the one with the, you know, the black horse and its rider with the scales in its hand back in uh, verse 5, scales during famine, that's how you would measure wheat and, and barley was cheaper. Uh, so the denarius could buy enough wheat for a day so a man could eat for a day on that. But if you want to get 
three days worth. You got a family, you got to buy barley. It's no good. It won't harm the oil and the wine. Some people think that means, um, you know, those are things that are kind of, uh, they let perennials, is that, is that what lasts forever or does it come back each year? So it's trees and vines and things. Or it could be rich people are fine, it's just poor people having trouble. <laughs> you know, it's, and that's what's happening in the churches. They're losing their jobs, they're losing their incomes. And, um, and it goes on, and, and then you get to verse 11 again, there's a set number. And then in verse 12, and he opened the sixth seal, and I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And then we see this again, and we just read about this in chapter 24. There are several places in the Old Testament where we read this same language, visual language, which means the, and it's always about the overturning of a great kingdom. And what this is, the overturning of the kingdoms of the world. This is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of God coming down. So all this is about. So there was a great earthquake. There's this great shaking of things. The sun became black as sackcloth. This is morning and darkness. Uh, creation is being turned upon itself because the new creation is coming in. The full moon became like blood. Oh, my goodness. The blood moon. I mean, it's like the blood moon's coming. It's red. It's going to be this. Stop that. This is a judgment language. This is visual stuff. This isn't the moon's going to be turned red. The moon turns red. The stars fall from the sky to the earth. We're waiting on that too? You know how big a star is? And the sun's not the biggest star there is. There are stars out there that will make the sun look like a little pebble of grass, and those things are falling to the earth. It's visual symbolism which is used in the Old Testament as well. That means this is a great undoing of things even the stars themselves. I mean, it may be John's looking and it's like all of a sudden, whoosh, I mean, picture it. You know, that's the visual of it, not the actuality of things. Like it's the visual, they're falling. What's happening? All of a sudden, the moon, whoosh, the sun, it's like, what's that? The stars, you know, everything's going out. And in verse 14, the sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. And then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful. Now this is like, all right, this is good. Okay, the, the churches, remember, they're being persecuted. The government is powerful. The kings are powerful. The Caesars are powerful. The people are powerful. There's things arrayed against them. And what are they going to do? And who can stand against these things? God is on his throne. And there's coming a day. And this is the point. This is what's going on with this sixth seal. There's coming a day. And then 15, the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free so this is everybody's getting judged not just rich people it's not class this has to do with two classes of people the wicked and the godly those who are in Christ and those who are still in Adam those who are fallen still and what they do they hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and among the mountains and this is not the only place we read of this. There's places in the Old Testament exact language comes from when judgment is coming upon people. And this is all those little judgments of little nations that may seem large at the time, all are pointing to the final and great judgment of God that's going to come upon the earth. And then the great and the powerful, the slave and the free, they try to find caves and they go among the rocks of the mountains. And they actually call on the mountains, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and the wrath of the Lamb. We just got the throne room scene. 
and the great and the powerful who are persecuting the church, who are making the church feel like they're nothing, who are making the church feel like they're inferior, who are making the church feel fearful, who are the people in the church who are falling for false teachings and for false gods and for idols and all these things. The day has come and it's too late for the evil ones. They are crying out because they see the face of God. And so what does it look like? Fall on us, hide from us, from the face of him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath, the wrath of the lamb, which is an interesting visual because he's actually the lion. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? So I've seen movies, plays, visual skits and things of what it's like for those who are being judged on the last day and to pull heartstrings of those who don't share the gospel properly enough. They show the ungodly standing before Christ pleading in tears, please save me, please save me. And then Jesus looks at them and like, I can't do anything. I'm like, stop it. That's not what the Bible teaches. When he comes, you come in wrath. And who can stand? If you stand before a holy God, naked and ashamed, and just the actual shamefulness of your sin is allowed to be felt by you, and the more you look into God's face, the shame of your sin, the difference between holiness and the utter repulsiveness of sin that we can't even begin to imagine begins to bear down on you who can stand that's what chapter 7 is going to be about because who can stand because there's one who stood for us he was on the cross he took all of that shame he felt it the shame of the hellish shame. One who was actually holiness and new holiness to be given shame on the cross and experience hell and say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 22 even from the scriptures. And then the thief on the cross next to him who had railed against him saying, will you remember me when you come into your father's kingdom? It's like God the father gives him one more. It's time to go. I do want to read John 16, 33. This is a pretty pivotal verse. John 16, verse 33. Jesus is speaking. He's talking about judgment that's going to happen and all these things. But he says this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. I have said these things, and in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. He doesn't say, unless you have enough faith in me. No, in me, you're going to have peace. In the world, though, you're going to have tribulation. But take heart. I have nikayod the world. But he doesn't just say nikayo. He actually says ninikayo. He stutters at the beginning. And in Greek, when you stutter at the beginning, that means it's the perfect tense. And this is ninikaye. In the perfect tense, it means this is a completed 
in the past, once and for all, and it never needs to be repeated. I had Ninikayod the world. As he said, to tell us die on the cross, it has been finished now and forever. It doesn't need to be done again. I have conquered the world. I have overcome the world. And this is the victory, your faith, which has Ninikayod the world. We are Ninikayos. We, we overcome with our faith. There is persecution. There are problems. Who knows what comes before us? Don't worship false gods. Don't fall for the lies of Satan, the world, or your own flesh. Jesus Christ, the gospel, love one another as I have loved you, giving yourself for one another as I gave myself for you. You don't stand before the Father and the Lamb in heaven, naked and ashamed. If you're in Christ, you boldly go to the throne. And we have a table set before us. And he says, not only that, you're my pals, you're my buddies, you're my friends. You're in me. When you hear this word and it's united by faith, you receive me. I'm in you and you're in me. You come to my table. We have table fellowship. Not just whatever else you may think about it, but this is the gospel. And it's very good news to those who are in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this vision. And as we get to chapter 7, we'll see that your church is protected. So we pray that your church in us, that we would in you go forth proclaiming the victory. Living in faith, even as trials, tribulations occur, that we, we, we are Nikaios, we're victors. And that when we see difficulties, we will remember that you told us. And then Second Peter warns us of these things. These things happen. It doesn't mean you don't love us. It doesn't mean you're not there. It means that you, you're revealing yourself to the world in your judgment. And as a reminder to us to cling closely to you and proclaim the only hope that exists is the rider on the white horse with the diadems and the blood-dipped robe with the sword of the Spirit, the word of God coming from his mouth, coming out as the conqueror. What a great hope we have. What a great victory is ours. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.